Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Red Zone Restricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin and Farrell Keeling to discuss the best and worst case scenarios for a Liverpool takeover. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, as we know, FSG have put Liverpool up for sale. Now, it might end up being the case that they only sell a stake in the club rather than uh, their their full shares. But today, we're going to think about what the future might hold if there is indeed a full takeover at Anfield. So, we offered our initial reaction uh, to this news on episode 101. But we wanted to make sure we discussed it in a bit more depth. However, before we get into that, literally 10 minutes before we started recording, um, major breaking news coming out of Liverpool that sporting director Julian Ward, who only took over from Michael Edwards in the summer, will be stepping down at the end of this season. So let's get some immediate reaction to that. In fact, before immediate reaction, let's just add a little bit more background to that uh, piece of information. So... Ward has essentially shocked the club um, with this decision. They weren't expecting it by any means. Obviously, he's only taken over from Michael Edwards last year. And it looks as if the club will be replacing him with an outside hire um, rather than an internal promotion, as they did, of course, when Edwards left. So a bit of a bombshell, really. Um, Trying to just digest it in these first few minutes. But Chris, I'll come to you first. What do you make of, of that story? Hi, Dave. Hi, Farrell. Um, Hi, yeah. Immensely surprising, I would say. Um, it's not something that I saw coming at all. I think it it hits a little bit more when we consider the stability of the club under Michael Edwards and just how well it was ran and the influence that he had. I mean, Michael Edwards, for me... Arguably, his most important bit of business was was the way that he communicated with Southampton and rebuilt bridges after the whole Virgil van Dijk fiasco uh, in the the summer of 2017. And the way that he rebuilt those bridges and the way that he managed to obviously get van Dijk into the club end uh, ultimately. But ever since then, it, it just feels a little bit crazy. It feels like parts of the club have almost stepped away from what had led it to be so successful. Um, And certainly, I can imagine from the hierarchy, the last thing they were expecting was for the man who was Edward's understudy, for the man who was first choice to come in and replace him, to be leaving after a year. Because from the outside as well, not even from us talking from the club's perspective, from the outside, if you're looking from uh, other fans around the world, around England, You've got to look at this and think it's, it's a bit strange, isn't it? You know, to go from such stability in in the 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 core parts of the club to needing a bit of a rearrangement in such short time, such a short time frame. It's very strange. Of course, it'd be interesting to read more into it and understand just why it's happened. But we understand that um, from from reading pieces that have just broken that he's not intending on joining another club he wants a break from football so you know maybe the job was more stressful than he thought or something like that but yes it is incredibly surprising given that I don't think any of us saw any indication it was going to happen 
Yeah, we got a message uh, from Dan in our group chat at 11.57 um, saying, basically warning us about it. He said, keep your eyes peeled. So he, he obviously had um, some sense of the uh, the magnitude of the story that was about to break. Couldn't have been um, Bellingham, could it? I know. <laughs> um, wait until after the World Cup for that one. But yeah, I mean, just looking at the sort of original like lines on it, um, something here about, about Klopp being involved in the... Um, in the search for a successor, which I suppose is good news. Um, I guess we have to talk about what Ward did in terms of obviously negotiating the Nunez deal and new contract um, for Salah, um, and then it was a, it was kind of a gradual transfer of of power from Edwards. So a lot of the decisions last season as well, um, Ward was heavily involved with. So it's interesting, really, for for the club to make big decisions like that, big investments under one kind of um, sporting director and then so quickly for it to change because, you know, they are very long-term uh, commitments that have been made by the club. And, and following on from that, Farrell, I mean, are we now looking at sort of a, a level of, of instability at Liverpool that like we haven't really seen for quite a while, obviously with this takeover that we're going to talk about shortly, but also the, the turnover in, in a short space of time of, you know, key figures at the football club? I think I don't want to be too doom and gloom because obviously we've been absolutely spoilt with how well run the club has been from top to bottom for the last few years. Um, but, you know, even the fact that we're potentially looking at outside higher, you know, I mean, there's absolutely no guarantee in terms of what we can get. You know, Liverpool fundamentally has, has relied on this idea of, you know, uh, promotion from within. You know, that was why so many were quite okay with the idea of Michael Edwards leaving because we knew we had someone just behind him coming in who was perfectly capable of doing the job in Julian Ward. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting, especially from that goal report on it, is that they look at sort of the the problems caused by the looming potential takeover because it's perceived that uh, he's not just leaving because he wants a break from football because I suppose he's a bit wary about key figures like Mike Gordon taking a back seat that hasn't helped and you don't really know what a structure Liverpool's going to look like um, when a new owner comes in. So it, it, it's, it's, it's unsettling, I think, but I think it, it's more unsettling as well because we're in this general period of undefined instability because we just don't know what, what's coming next. I think, we, you know, we know FSG wants to protect their legacy um, so we can be reasonably sure we'll get someone decent in, but it's just, it's a lot of unknowns for Liverpool and it's a lot of unknowns that, you know, we, we as Liverpool fans haven't experienced this degree of unknowns for, for quite a while. And I think as well, we've, you know, sort of picking up on what you said there, we, we've almost prided ourselves on the operation that we have and how effective and, and how stable it is compared to other clubs. And for that to kind of be thrown a little bit into disarray at the moment is a little bit kind of alarming. Um, I think obviously we don't fully know at this stage what the motivations are. I'm sure they'll come out. Logically, you would assume that it's a consequence of the club being up for sale. Um, if you think back to when Chelsea had had their takeover, um, obviously earlier this year, you saw a massive turnover of staff there. Um, Granovskaya, the director, left. Bruce Buck stepped down. Petr Cech, technical advisor, he went as well um, shortly after that. So it's one of them where I think you almost can't expect when there is a sale, regardless of how effective maybe um, the other staff have been in their roles, you can't expect there to be 
complete continuity in terms of personnel. Obviously, at this stage, there hasn't actually been, as far as we know, concrete steps towards that sale, but maybe this is almost a more preemptive move. Um, but before we before we um, tie that onto that for now, um, was there something else you wanted to add, Chris? Yeah, I'm just seeing on social media, of course, I think we're starting to see quotes and stuff coming through about the story and things like that. And there's a few really interesting ones from, from Neil Jones, actually, um, that there's the belief within the club. And I, I, I suppose this is going to kind of tie into the, the ownership discussion that we're going to have. Um, there's a belief that the club, within the club, that FSG's ownership model, which, uh, as, as this article says, which depends largely on, on generating revenue, of course, who player trading, is reaching the end of its shelf life which perhaps very much ties into what we're going to discuss. And apparently there were also considerable efforts made to keep ward of the club, but there's almost going to be an organizational restructuring, which again, we'll have to wait and see what exactly that entails. But it, it, it does feel like quite a big procedure that's gone on behind the scenes recently. Yeah, and I think it's almost a little bit naive to expect that all of this change off the field is not going to have any impact on it um but yeah we'll very much be uh keeping abreast of every development with this story in terms of why it happened um who might come next um and whether there's going to be further turnover of members of the liverpool hierarchy but as you said there chris we'll talk a bit more about the takeover now because we can't really i suppose get into the the ward story and in too much depth until we know absolutely all the facts. So what we want to do is look at the best and worst case scenarios. So Farrell, I'll bring you in first um, and we'll, we'll try and kind of establish a picture kind of together as we go. So as an outline, what in your mind does a best case scenario look like for a Liverpool takeover in terms of, I suppose, the identity of the owners and, and their approach um, from a sporting perspective? Um, well, I'll give you I'll give you a vague outline and I'll give you specific names. Um, I, I mean, I suppose vaguely we want someone that's going to kind of carry on where FSG have left off. So, you know, a good sort of organizational, organizational structure from top to bottom, from on the pitch to off the field with the, all the commercial deals, just carrying that forward. But, you know, critically, we want an owner that's going to come in and be able to perhaps maybe not even get us to a point where we're matching the likes of Manchester City and and Newcastle because we all know that's a ridiculous amount of money and and the kind of owners that it would take to potentially bring that in. But at least someone who could get us a bit closer um, and and close the gap there. Um, Left-leaning would be be fantastic, but, you know, there's there's, um, not really such a thing as a a left-leaning billionaire. Uh, So we have to, you know, take that idea with sort of a pinch of salt. Um, I think more... I mean, specifically, I, I would have I would have personally loved someone like Steve Ballmer, um, the LA Clippers owner, who's ex Microsoft CEO, net worth eighty billion dollars, so yeah, pretty pretty sizable. Um, unfortunately, as we all know, of course, he's been ruled out of the running. Doesn't want to expand his portfolio. Um, so that kind of, I suppose, yeah, avoiding anyone with any sort of potential human rights uh, discrepancies, discrepancies, but someone who can help us sort of close the gap to the richer clubs. Um, whilst also ensuring that you know we're ship shaped from top to bottom. Chris, to, to pick up on, on something Farrell said there in terms of carrying on where FSG left off, are we thinking about this in terms of like organizationally? We want almost FSG 2.0, but we want someone 
who will abandon the self-sustaining aspect of the business model and instead try and, and pour money into the club. And also as a, a secondary question, um, what about timelines? Because that's important to take over as well. Like when in an ideal takeover process, do you, would you like to see it happen? They're very good questions. Um, the first one on the FSG model, I, I'm, I'm very public on this, that I have absolutely nothing against FSG. Um, I remember way back in 2010, and I said it on the previous episode that you did, that you mentioned, Dave, that I, I will be forever grateful for them in terms of the way they saved the club, the way that um, that that emotional afternoon when it was announced that they they'd bought the club and saved the club from effectively spiraling into who knows where and i you know i'll I'll be grateful to them for that absolutely i think in terms of self-sustainability it is important because i know maybe historic examples you look at leeds even you look further down the, the ladder you look at derby county you look at portsmouth bolton for example and we've all seen there how poor ownership can just spiral a club and i'm not saying that would happen to liverpool but you do have to be so careful with who you with who has the power in charge of the club because ultimately my main priority for liverpool's future owners whether that's fsg still and just with funds involved or whether that is someone entirely new have the club's best interests at heart and I totally agree with what Farrell said in that in terms of the money involved, you do risk kind of only a certain select amount of people want or being able to buy the club. But then, you you know, ethical issues do become involved in that with the money as well. And that's not something I particularly want Liverpool Football Club to be involved in. I, I want Liverpool to retain its values while being able to fight at top of the table um, on, on, on all fronts. Um, so it, it is it is interesting um, with regards to that and just, just the potential ones that, that could come in. But at the same time, look, the, the model that Liverpool have been working with, it's, from, it's incredible what Jurgen Klopp's done. Absolutely incredible. But we are now, every, every, every sport in the world, apart from, you know, I know America will focus on trading and drafts and everything, but by and large in sport, the richest get to the top. And that is what Liverpool may well have to bite the bullet of um, in terms of that in, in, in the future. But as, as, I, as I reiterate, Dave, for me, it's about retaining Liverpool's values as much as being able to compete. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll come on to the definitely the ethical issues a little bit later on in, in a bit more depth. Um, but I'll bring you back in on it, Farrell, because it seems like there's something you want to add. But what, what what do you think about sort of timelines? If you could choose the ideal point, would you choose maybe the end of this season or slightly before the end of the season so you can get kind of a takeover complete for, for sort of transfer planner, but maybe avoid too much upheaval while um, the football's still going on? Because there was a um, there was some quotes from uh, Tom Tom Werner this week, um, I think in the Boston Globe, which is obviously the paper that FSG owned, and he, and he was sort of saying we could this this process could sort of carry on. For quite a while so are you sort of looking as well for owners who are going to be able to complete this deal relatively swiftly for, for, for the good of the club 
obviously we have to be careful about who we bring in, you know, for obvious reasons, the moral perspective, but also from, you know, a, a more broader perspective, organisationally speaking, because, you know, we, we've, the club could go downhill. That does seem very doom and gloom. But if you bring in the wrong owners, we've seen this already prior to uh, when Fenway were in, the club could go downhill in a matter, uh, a short matter of years. Um, I, I don't think Fenway will bring in anyone that will do that. I think they're very, they, from what we've been hearing, they're very interested in the legacy they leave behind. So they don't want to ruin that by just bringing them in anyone. Um, so, but, you know, it's, we've already, of course, seen the damage just takeover talk alone can do because we've seen now a key figure in Julian Ward is leaving and he's been cited for that very reason for changes behind the scenes that are forming part of his decision making in that regard. Our, um, I think another another key executive, Ian Graham, I think is is going to be leaving the club also. So we've already seen upheaval just from the talk around takeover, not a full takeover yet per se. Um, in terms of the timeline, just to address that, I, I think it, it, it's a difficult one because the reports around it do seem to say that it will happen sooner than fans think. But even within that world, you know, I think we've had again uh, the Boston Globe that's sort of come out and said, well, you know, sooner rather than later still isn't. Soon, soon. Um, this this will, this could be a matter of years still, potentially. I I, I personally think this will get wrapped up um, sooner than that. Uh, but you know, I, ideally, I think we need to have this wrapped up before the summer window, and not just simply because you know of the the level of investment that we need in the midfield, and you know the price tags that have been quoted for the likes of of Jude Bellingham, and you know you get into all the nonsense with uh, Declan Rice and all these other sort of big big name targets. Um, because we've already seen the upheaval it's causing in terms of our backroom staff, just the talk. We need to get this done as soon as possible. We can't have this dragging on. Because um, if you look at, you know, Julian Ward's only been in for a few months and he's already made that decision. You kind of have to, I suppose, worry a bit, well, how many other key figures within Liverpool are going to be looking at the takeover and going, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure how this is going to affect the organisation. So it's not just about simply getting it sorted. It's about identifying that potential owner and then communicating it down the line and saying, look, we've, we've got someone in the pipeline. Obviously, we're not going to release this officially for a few more months, but th this is the kind of owner we're bringing in. These are their objectives. This is how they're going to carry on the work that we've started and just assure these members of the club that we're still moving in the right direction. There's also the matter of what's happened at Old Trafford as well, isn't there? Because Absolutely. Given, you know, Given, of course, not just Ronaldo, but given the, the the Glazers, you know, potentially looking to sell up, you'd imagine the same people that'd be interested in potentially investing in Liverpool would be very much the same kind of people with the wealth invest wealth to potentially able to to invest in Manchester United. So I, I think that could be a factor as well in terms of the timing of it. Yeah, I think one thing to clarify is that because FSG are essentially funding transfers with money clubs generated anyway then I'm not too sort of worried about um, the implications for Liverpool's spending power. You know, I think it's probably going to be the same as, as it kind of has been um, up to this point. You know, if you remember like Mike Ashley's like last summer when he was trying to sell Newcastle, I think the only player they signed was Willock. And, and people were saying at the time, like, why would Mike Ashley put money into the club for a transfer when he's going to sell anyway. I remember someone used the metaphor of like doing up your kitchen before you move out your house, basically. Um, I don't think that that's the case with FSG. I don't think we need to worry about that. But I think, as you say, Farrell, it's more going to be about the instability that it fosters and and what that means for, for, for key personnel, as we've, like you say, as we've seen um, with Julian Ward. And yeah, obviously the, the Man United news is going to have... Um, 
definite implications. And uh, it seems like that maybe um, a few clubs who are seeing this as, as kind of a, an opportune moment. But one of the things Farrell said, Chris, was about we don't need owners who are going to be able to compete with, you know, the likes of, of City and Newcastle, you know, those state-backed clubs. We, we just need someone who essentially will be able to get closer because if you look at it right now, Liverpool, in terms of their net spend, they're sort of like mid-table in the Premier League. You know, there's clubs like um, Everton and West Ham who are outdoing them in that regard. So do you think with a manager, especially with a manager like Klopp, who's got generally a proven capacity for overachieving, you just need somebody who will basically have a net spend that puts Liverpool in the big six. It doesn't need to be a Man City and a Newcastle level in that regard, or even Manchester United. It just needs to be much more competitive and, and representative, really, of, of where the club actually stands. I think I'd rather win. I'd rather the club wins trophies than wins the transfer market award for the year, which seems to get handed out, um, doesn't it? We, we've seen we've seen clubs like Everton and West Ham spend lots and lots and lots of money in the last few years. And they are both currently in the bottom five of the Premier League on 14 points. So, absolutely, having money helps. Of course it does. But it never guarantees quality. And every signing comes with a risk. It does, because every signing could be a flop. Every signing could be amazing. Only after we see them in action do we find out uh, which of them it will fall into. I think... The recruitment process will be interesting because I'm also looking at as well the the restructuring that is rumored to be taking place. Jurgen Klopp has apparently taken a lot more of a hands-on approach with the recruitment, which kind of maybe ties into to Julian Ward's decision a little bit. Um, but ultimately, I think there's enough footballing brains around there to use the money wisely. Like Say, for example, one that's just come to my head, Brentford. We're in the championship and you know, with a lot of clubs that have been in and around the Premier League and had bigger budgets than Brentford, far bigger budgets than Brentford. But Brentford's recruitment process was quite publicized, really, in terms of how well they how well they used analytics, underlying stats, all those kind of things. And the signings that they made for not massive money have propelled them to a status that Brentford fans have not seen for generations so ultimately having money does help but from a Liverpool perspective it's about still finding the gems that they've been finding it's you know we, of course we saw you know we have seen big money signings and no point am I saying that we haven't seen big money signings at Liverpool but we have also seen players bought for a value that has, has skyrocketed with their performances at the club um you know I'm even top, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Mo Salah, was it 36-odd million? And then when Liverpool went in for Alisson, of course, Roma went, well, we're not uh, not being skinned again. Albeit, you could argue that Alisson was quite cheap in her retrospect. But, yeah, I think... I'm. It, it's funny, because I'm seeing so many people saying um, about having owners that spend more than 200 million in the transfer window, and net spend, and all those kind of things. I, I reiterate my points earlier on. Best interest in the club is my main focus with regards to new investment and hopefully success comes with that. But I certainly wouldn't want to see a situation where the owner comes in or investors come in, money gets spent, success doesn't come and 
these shareholders, these same owners get bored. So as long as it, you know, I, I want a, a thorough process and everything really to, to, to go the right way in terms of the club. And I think the way to sum that up is like you want sort of the same efficacy in terms of Liverpool's hit rate with, with big transfers, which, yeah. you know, I looked at it recently. If you look at pretty much all the transfers under half the big transfers, obviously the jury's still out on a couple of them, but I'd argue that only Cater and Oxlade-Chamberlain have been misses, and to be fair, they haven't been sort of unqualified misses either. Um, so the, the transfer record's been really good. Maybe you just want more spending power because if you can kind of take that level of efficacy and simply project it onto onto more players and be able to bring more targets in, then I suppose that is really exciting. But yeah, like you say, it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily all about spending power. It's about having the right sort of balance between the two, I suppose. But to come on to the guest, the second pillar um, of the episode um, and scenarios that we might not want to see. Farrell, what if, because FSG ultimately are selling the club, so there's going to be a limit to the extent to which they're looking at how good the next owners will be for Liverpool. And it's probably going to be how good the next owners will be for them in terms of the deal that they can get. So what if we have a situation where new new owners also have a very similar model to FSG, as it turns out? Um, If we have the owners who don't invest any more than they do, if, if it stays kind of similar to what it has been, are Liverpool going to get left behind? Because it feels like FSG are selling the club because they fear that that scenario was happening with Man City, with Newcastle, um, obviously on the rise. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's important to, to stress that, you know, obviously there is an element of um, self-interest in, in FSG's decision there. You know, they're not, you know, they're leaving because they've looked at the landscape, they've looked at various factors like, um, you know the ESL crumbling, uh, project big picture not in the not in the picture, um, and and of course the lack of teeth with financial fair play. They've made that decision ultimately, as you've rightly pointed out, because they've looked at the landscape and gone without these elements coming into play, we can't effectively compete with the likes of you know your Manchester Cities, your Newcastles, and you know more broadly in Europe, you know the likes of your PSGs and, and, and your Real Madrids. That's, that's a decision in their interest. Um, but I think what perhaps a few fans are forgetting is that it's, an, it's a decision also made in Liverpool's best interests. You know, we can potentially compete closer to that level if we, if we bring in uh, the right level of investment or, you know, organise a full takeover. Um, I think to... Yeah, I think, I think the important thing, uh, sort of Chris sort of pointed out, you know, it, it's not just about having having loads and loads and loads of money, um, we, we do need to be very careful. I think the most important thing actually Liverpool need to figure out firstly is internally what we're doing, you know, with, with, with key figures like water we're leaving, who are we bringing in and how much of that is going to be reliant on certainty, uh, sort of, you know, behind the scenes with the takeover. Um, obviously, there, there are some pretty clear sort of worst case examples that we're going to want to avoid, but I, I don't think we'll be in any sort of danger of, of, of touching that, given um, how picky FSG are being at the moment. I think, they, you know, we've seen already even with um, Tom Burney sort of come out and said they'll, they'll stay stewards of Liverpool if they really can't find anyone. Um, so I, I think to, to answer your question about, you know, whether, you know, more of the same in terms of leaving Liverpool behind, I, I think there is a genuine risk of that, but, you know, we, we have to sort of, 
look at sort of what's happening at the moment with the key figures that are leaving and go, well, do we really want to rush the process and risk bringing in someone who, you know, won't even want to allow the club to run as sustainably as it has currently? Um, so I, I think the priority will be obviously getting in someone who can help us compete closer to that level. But I personally rather more of the same than risking any of the worst case scenarios that have been suggested up until this uh, up until this point. I think FSG's sort of model is, is quite like low stakes in a way. You know, you you create a scenario where with the the players and the manager that you've got, you're probably going to finish in the top four. Obviously, not not a given this season by any means, but you're going to get you know likely of that Champions League money. Um, you're going to have that kind of stability in that regard, but you might not be. Obviously, Klopp's talked about taking risks in the transfer market. Obviously, you might not be able to to take the kind of risks and be bold enough perhaps um with your spending to be able to to truly kind of build a dynasty i suppose um and i think it's a crucial point you make certainly about the super league and and those and those kind of initiatives that the fsg you know tried to take up because that is a clear sign really that that they saw what was coming um and people could probably point to that as as a crucial moment i suppose in the unraveling or um i suppose the the end of, of the FSG regime, which looks to be almost upon us. So we've kind of looked at, I suppose, what a worst case scenario would be then in terms of um, the finances behind it and obviously um, maybe a maintenance of, of insufficient spending or or a more reckless approach um, a la the, the Glazers at Manchester United. But let's revisit a point you raised earlier, Chris about the identity of the owners. Um, obviously, we have to kind of tread quite carefully with this. Um, and I do want to talk about something later, which shows that it is no kind of coming from, from one place. We've seen with the World Cup um, in Qatar, obviously a fresh spotlight on um, kind of human rights abuses in, in the Middle Eastern uh, region. Um, things like obviously the effective ban on the One Love Arm Band um, really and and where's that coming from is it fifa or is it fifa under pressure from qatar and you know various other incidents like fans not being allowed into the stadium in in rainbow attire um obviously bringing that into into sharp focus and i suppose in the case of liverpool while it seems more likely that we're going to have similar owners to fsg in terms of being a very wealthy american businessmen there's the prospect still of owners from kind of a gulf state and um, there was a, a report um, not too long ago about potential interest from Dubai as well. So how do we kind of handle that that moral dilemma? Um, there's a, been a big debate um, among Liverpool fans on social media um, and uh, obviously kind of a, a difficult one really to, to get your teeth into. And also you have to consider as well the, the ramifications in terms of how you would actually view your own football club if that was to happen. Yeah, I think you'd almost have to go fan by fan, really, in terms of getting their opinions on these kind of things. Certainly, say, for example, if we talk about the Super League, for example, um, I said at the time that if the club had joined the Super League, um, I would have stepped back from my support of the club um, just because the Super League, uh, it, it wasn't something I agreed with. It wasn't something that I felt comfortable with. Um, it wasn't something that I believed 
would represent me as a fan and that's why I, I would have taken I would it would have been one of the toughest things ever I've had to do in my life but I would have done it because it, it wouldn't have represented me and I, I, you, know, you hear people saying oh but you'll still celebrate when I don't know Liverpool however the Super League would have been formed win the Super League or whatever no because it wouldn't have felt like football it would have been the most closed circle of all time and you risk kind of like me being a bit or called a bit old-fashioned but there's a lot about football that I like the way it is and there's a lot about football that I don't want to see changed and that absolutely would have been the case for that um with regards to ownership suppose I agree with you Dave where we have to talk carefully um we have to maybe just talk about what we have seen um I think it's okay for us to look at Newcastle, for example, where they left the situation with Mike Ashley and they felt that the club wasn't being treated right with him in charge. And I think from Newcastle's perspective, it was, you know, see if you guys agree with this, but it felt like a case of anyone will do, just not Mike Ashley in terms of the takeover. And there was the banner a month or so ago that they had at St. James's Park in terms of it was like a, a, a big a, well, a big a rectangular picture of like Sky Sports News talking about the takeover, having all the signings on one side of the screen. Um, and it got a lot of criticism. You know, it's undeniable that it got a lot of criticism because, of course, you know, if we talk about Saudi Arabia and things that have happened in Saudi Arabia, that's why the fans got criticism for the banner, for the, the celebrating of it, uh, I guess. So that isn't something that I would particularly want Liverpool to go down the road of because, again, it, it, just, it just wouldn't be something that aligns with something I, I, I am okay with. Um, again, we, we, we talk about the World Cup in Qatar and you're quite right to mention that. I think... The handling of the One Love armband was awful. Uh, I totally agree that a bigger message would have been taking the yellow card, and I believe that is what the captains should have done. Whether they had the power to ultimately do so, I don't know. But you know, I saw a tweet that I thought was quite applicable in that you're willing to risk a booking for a dive, you're willing to risk a booking for you know getting an argument or talking to the referee, but not with that kind of armband. So. Um, Obviously, with, with that, I understand the frustrations with regards to that and I understand the frustrations for a lot of people around this World Cup. I, I am watching the World Cup because I love football. And for me, the football that I'm watching is an escape from it all. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with it being in Qatar, but that's why I'm watching the World Cup. So it's a very long answer. I appreciate that. But with regards to morals, it would, I believe it would change the way that I view the club. If I'm being honest, it's there's a tough no, thing to say, but I, I yeah. yeah, that's how I feel. There's no way to give a short answer on this. No, fairness. I, I realised um, that after about three minutes. <laughs> and finally, I, I suppose I'll have to get your take on that as well. I'll try and kind of break it down quite simply. If Liverpool were taken over by individuals with close connections to a Gulf state, that systematically violates the rights of um, the LGBT community. 
would you be sort of done with football? Because I know there's a lot of fans who are kind of already alienated by the direction the game's heading and would see this as, as effectively the nail in the coffin. I think, you know, I think we'd all have to sort of collectively see it as our duty to criticise the club and the direction it's taking. So I think, I think you know, much in a similar vein to Chris, I, I think I'd find it extremely difficult to actively support, you know, the club, you know, journalism aside, just as a pure fan. Um, I, th- I think I'd find it very difficult to retain those ties and severing those ties would be a, a very sort of emotional decision as it would be for, you know, the millions of Liverpool fans out there. Um, but yeah, I, I think in short, I think it'd be critical to still retain some time, even if it's only a critical one, <laughs> just just to make it very clear that, you know, we're not happy that the, this direction the club is going. Um, we, we do have to bear in mind the World Cup in part. And, you know, I, I think I do agree with Chris there that it would have been sort of a, a more, a, a better message if, if, you know, everyone has sort of come out and, you know, the captains have gone ahead. And even if only just for the one opening game, uh, worn the one love armbands, the, the equally, I would argue it's, you know, we're, we're in a position where we're almost putting everything on the players in terms of, you know, if they don't wear the armbands, um, they're criticised. If they do wear the armband, they're criticised. I think the players ultimately can't win in this, um, even though they do have a responsibility to, you know, use their platforms. Uh, we, we have to look at the, the organisers in the same way with Liverpool. We have to look at the people making the decisions uh, behind the scenes and, you know, the potentially horrific owners we could get. Um, I, yeah, I, I think I've had a lot of conversations with sort of fellow Liverpool fans um, and, you know, there's been plenty of talk, you know, many saying, well, you know, we'd stay on anyway because it's still our club. Others have gone, you know, look, I'm, I'll just abandon it entirely and just start supporting, you know, grassroots, you know, non-league football, getting back to, you know, what it, what it, what it used to be and what, you know, many rightly argue it should be, uh, which is, you know, based in and around, revolving around the fans. I, I don't think... Liverpool are in danger of becoming that club. Again, I really want to reiterate, I, I think FSG care too much about the legacy they're going to leave behind um, to risk bringing in that kind of owner uh, with any sort of you know, moral dilemmas attached. Uh, but I think if it came down to it, yeah, I think I'd... Yeah, sorry. I'm, doing this, I'm, I'm, I'm prattling on. Um, but yeah, I, I think in short, I, I think I'd probably have to sever ties as a fan, but keep connected you know, journalistically, obviously, to really sort of criticise the club and hope that at some point down the line, the situation changed and it, it sort of allowed fans to restore their connections. Yeah, that's a good point as well. It wouldn't necessarily be something that, that couldn't be recovered. And, you know, with this, it's one of them where, you know, it's it's much easier said than done. And it's easy to say now, sort of on a on grounds of principle and I would say it too that I would be alienated and I would feel like the connection with the club had been severed especially given you know the identities that we've had and the criticism we've levelled um, at other clubs and how we've just been proud to, to not be um, operating it in those circumstances but I do feel sympathy for you know some fans at, at Manchester City and Newcastle who kind of have have the dilemma um, really to confront and, and it is a extremely difficult one and and hopefully really it, it doesn't come to that for us but the very last thing I want to touch on here Chris and I feel like it's fair as well to represent both sides of the, of the debate I saw this um 
posted in response to a lot of, of tweets, which are kind of making the same point that we just have on Twitter. Um, so Liverpool's um, training ground sponsor, Axe, one of their most uh, prominent sponsors, um, essentially have been, according to multiple reports, um, funding uh, the, quote, Israel's illegal settlement enterprise um, and owning shares in banks that are involved in war crimes um, against Palestinians, um, which is obviously one of the great source of um, human rights, source of wide range of human rights violations going on in the world right now. Um, so rather than talking about that specifically, let's look think about it generally. Does that indicate that inherently in football, no matter almost who owns you, there's going to be in within the sort of a capitalist system with billionaires, like Farrell says, there are going to be sort of reprehensible things going on with people connected to your football club. Do we think about it that way? Or do we say, and you know, obviously that would apply to you know individuals from the West as well. Or do we say we have to judge it by degrees, really, um, and the lesser of two evils, I suppose. I understand what you're getting at, Dave. Um, obviously, it, uh, you know, it doesn't make for good reading uh, what what you've just said. Um, even if you want to go even further down into the, you know, the, the idea of, say, betting in the game, for example. Um, I remember, well, the, the other the other day, of course, we'll have to uh, wait and see what happens with regards to Ivan Tony, of course, the, the charge that he has been faced with. Um, and as someone pointed out on Twitter, the man was top scorer two seasons ago in a division that is sponsored by Skybet. He plays for a team that have betting as their shirt sponsor. You know, it, if, if you want to go down to that kind of, because betting, of course, is a big issue in the game, you know, for, for fans and you know, around alike. And you're surrounded by it. You're absolutely surrounded by it. We we saw a while back that apparently they were going to cut down on betting adverts around games. See, I don't know about you guys. I'm seeing more than ever. So it's a situation where, of course, not, not getting away from the original question because it doesn't make for good reading. Um, I think it can be tough at times to be totally 100% moral. In life, not not just not just in the sport of football, and it kind of goes back, look, say say to the World Cup. Look, I'm, I reiterate, I don't agree with Qatari values, but I'm watching it because I love the game, and I know a lot of people are boycotting the World Cup, and I respect those who do, but I'm watching it because I literally can't get enough of it, and that might be something that people disagree with, but I'm prepared to take that on the chin. So I think even even down to individuals around the world i think you can question morality you can question things but yeah I, I think you do well to find someone who is totally 100% moral for every second of their life and we'll give you the sort of absolute final word on that dilemma farrell yeah i mean it's interesting what chris is saying about sort of the world cup because you can sort of relate that to liverpool's situation and go well you know we all know you know what, what, what's happening um <laughs> in the middle east at the moment we all know the, the horrific human rights record um treatment of women and the 
the LGBTQI community. Having, having said that, many of us are still watching, you know, the World Cup and many of us um, don't share those kind of beliefs. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, but, you know, as Chris said, we, we, we watch it for the football because we can't get enough of it. E- equally, you know, if Liverpool were somehow to end up in the hands of, of, of someone with absolutely despicable um, views on, on the world and how it should operate... I suppose you know, many of us would kind of go right enough of that. Not going to support the club, but then equally, if we're prepared to say, "Well, people can watch the Qatar World Cup because they love football," you know, how how could we then criticise people if they wanted to sort of go, "Well, you know, I'm I'm still a Liverpool supporter. This is the club I've loved for five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years or so. I'm still going to watch the football, even if I really disagree with what's happening behind the scenes. It, it, it's such a murky." situation and, and and the fact is i think you know as you both sort of touched on that no, no club is perfect behind the scenes i think you know with, with fsg we know they've made some poor decisions but we, we know they're not responsible for you know the, the subjugation of various groups in society i think people have pointed out well you know axa aren't impeccable i mean you could go you can go through people's manufacturers you can go through the betting brands and you can point out individually this is all wrong you know, this is creating this horrific sort of culture around football, uh, this, this commercialization generally of football that a lot of us don't really like. Um, but it, it, it's all extent. We know, we know for a fact that there's a massive, man, if you can't see it, there's something wrong with you. There's a massive, massive difference between Liverpool having a few dodgy sponsors and the likes of Manchester City and Newcastle, who, it should be emphasized, by the way, do have certain fan groups that do protest against their owners, um, having owners with, with links to human rights abuses. It's a huge difference. Not saying that every Liverpool fan goes around where it says it's okay for Liverpool to have these comparatively minor issues, but they are comparatively minor. And, um, you know, we still watch football regardless. It's a difficult one because we're going to, you, know, you could potentially put fans in a really difficult position. Again, sorry, I've not quite summarised that as, as, as quickly as I'd hoped. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think period of uncertainty ahead, um, but not quite panic stations. And that I do think it's impossible to to kind of draw a line under these things quickly, to be honest. So, um, no issue with that certainly. And yeah, I I do think it, it's just a case of of degrees. Um, and and as much as we would want football to be a totally pure landscape, we've got to kind of just fight for the the least worst um situation, I suppose. Um, although obviously in an ideal world, um, in light of the, the revelations about AXA, then they, they wouldn't be kind of connected to the club anymore. But yeah, that is going to wrap us up for what I think has been a, a really interesting episode. Um, so thanks uh, to Chris and Farrell for, for giving their opinion on it. And obviously that's Julian Ward news as well. So yeah, we'll be obviously following the developments with that closely because it seems like it's going to be a very, very interesting time to be covering Liverpool over the, the months ahead. So yeah, if you enjoyed this, uh, please follow us, subscribe. Um, and give us a five-star review on Spotify as well. That would be hugely appreciated. And you can follow us all on Twitter as well by clicking the links in the episode description. But yeah, until the next one, take care.